Welcome to Pathfinders, a topical series for men. The world around us is a mess, and it's changing rapidly and not for the better. Men are struggling to find their way. They find themselves in a forest of issues and challenges that has grown up around them, and there does not appear to be a clear pathway out. And because men are the way they are, they might not even realize that they are lost in that forest of issues and challenges. And even if they do realize it, they may not ask for help. Any forest, no matter how dense or unknown it is, can be navigated if there is someone who knows the way knows where the pathways are, know, knows where the danger is, knows which paths to take and which ones to stay away from. My objective for this series is threefold. First, to help men understand their circumstances, their situation. A man cannot know where to go if he does not first know where he is. This will also include helping them to see their need for a pathfinder in their life. Second, we all need pathfinders for some part of our lives. So what should we be looking for in a pathfinder? What are the traits and characteristics of this person, of this man who will help us to find the right path? Third, all men should aspire to be pathfinders. This series should give those men who sense the calling to lead others the tools they need to be pathfinders. Ultimately, this series is about discipleship. This world is a mess, and there are lots of reasons why the world is the way that it is, and it won't be fixed until Jesus comes back. Until then, God is calling his men to stand up and lead people, as many as will follow, away from the darkness that is so pervasive in this world. The world has a leadership problem, and God has given the church the power through the Holy Spirit to do something about it. It is far past time for God's men to stand up and start leading. Welcome to Pathfinders. Um, turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, Matthew 2. This morning we're going to be talking about something that is seriously lacking in our culture, and that is wisdom. We had a glaring example of that this week when our anti-gun government released the convicted arms dealer, a man by the name the Merchant of Death, who sold weapons that were used to kill Americans. He was exchanged for a woman who was convicted of bringing a small amount of drugs into Russia. Doesn't sound like a great trade to me. What is wisdom? And why is it important, especially for men, to be wise? First, let's start with a definition. Wisdom is the quality or state of being wise. That makes sense. Goes on, knowledge of what is true or right. That's a key element of wisdom is the knowledge of what is true or right coupled with just judgment as to action. So the idea there is wisdom is, is 
knowledge, but knowledge that is coupled or joined with doing what is right, taking right actions or behaviors out of that. Chuck Smith, something he was fond of saying is that knowledge is knowing that a black cat-sized animal with white stripes down its back is a skunk. Wisdom is staying away from it. Wisdom is knowing what is true, what is right, and then applying that knowledge in right actions, in just behaviors. We live in a time when knowledge is, is expanding faster than we can keep up with it. But it's also a time when wisdom seems to be being discarded for delusion and fantasy. There are people, and this, I, I, have, I have to hope that it's an act, but there are people who are saying and might even believe that men can give birth to babies. And, and my, I think about that and I think, how do, we, how do we get here? How do we get to a time in a place where, so, where things that are so, can be so foolish and be so wrong? Some are saying that just believing your agenda other than the one you were born as somehow magically makes you a different gender. I just feel a different gender, so I am a different gender. And, and, and they're not satisfied to keep their delusion to themselves. They want to insist that we go along with them. That's what the preferred pronoun thing is all about. If you're wondering what that's all about, it's all about them trying to force their delusion onto others. Anyone who identifies themselves with their preferred pronouns or asks you what yours are is asking you to participate in their delusion. Now, it might be politically correct to go along, and maybe you're in an environment where you have to just to continue to function, but it's not wise. It's not wise. Somebody asked me what my preferred pronouns are. I'm going I'm to look at him with a blank stare and say, what in the world are you talking about? This morning, we're going to look at a familiar account of some wise men and see what it says for us today. So we'll pick it up in chapter 2. Again, it's a very familiar, it's a, a, a Christmas text. And here we are just a week out, a little over a week out from Christmas. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Matthew says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Gosh, there's so much theology wrapped up in those two verses. These wise men are fascinating to me, and, and there's lots of kind of myths and different things that have grown up, and, 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 and marketing people have created sorts of you know, images of these people, and yet we know, apps, we, so, we, so know we know so little about them. You know, we, you know we, the, the common thing is how many wise men were there? You know, the common theory is three. We don't know that. The, t the Bible does not say anywhere how many there were. Um, some also refer to them as kings. 
doesn't say that anywhere either, either. It just refers to them as wise men. They're just wise men from the east. That's the only thing or the very, the, about all we know about them. But we know something about the types of men that they may have been because they're coming from an area and they're presenting themselves such a way that they may have been a group of people who were uh, very studied. And they were studied specifically in the area of astrology and prophetic writings. And so they studied, you know, the stars and the movement of, of planets and stars, and they, and they put meaning into the, all those things. But they also had access to different writings from different faiths and religions and different things. And many believe they come from the area around Babylon, that they came from this area where, where the Jews were exiled to, Daniel and his his friends and all of that, and they had all of the, all the prophetic writings. And so they may have very likely had this particular verse in mind and, and were responding to it. In Numbers 24, 17, it says this, I have seen him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. You know, that as they're studying this, then, then appears a star in the heavens. And the sense is that it's a new star, a star they hadn't seen before. And we're going to talk a little bit later. It's not a normal star. It's very unusual. Something about this star convinced them to make this dangerous journey from the east to Jerusalem, maybe as much as a thousand miles on camels. That's a long long journey. And they're carrying these expensive gifts, which would have made them vulnerable to the, the, the bad people in, on the way. They believed this prophecy was true. How do we know that? They traveled a long way in response to this prophecy. They believed that this newborn king was somebody that was worthy of worship. Now, they believe that this star was not leading them to a simple king. I don't know that they would have made this journey if it was just to a king, the new king of the Jews, but to a divine king, to the Messiah, to God in the flesh. Now, that's remarkable for men that are coming from such a great distance and, and, and and to come and to, and to do what they do is radical. I think we can draw a number of applications from this. First off, they are coming in response to not only what they saw in the heavens, but what they knew to be true in God's word. They connected the two. They had God's word. They believed God's word was true. They believed that, 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 that and we should believe and know that this is the source of wisdom. God's book is the source of, God's word is the source of wisdom. That, that there is no other writing, there is no other book, there is no other people that can give us wisdom apart from God's word. And anything that contradicts God's word cannot be wisdom. Not the kind of wisdom that can lead us to God and to, to his people, or to, for his people. Second, you have to believe in God's word. It's what, believing in God's word that leads to wisdom. That these guys saw this, they saw the evidence of it, and they responded to it. And, they, and third, wisdom that is based in God's word, that is believed, will lead us to Jesus. That wis, true wisdom will always lead us to Jesus. If somebody is putting something out that's leading us away from Jesus, again, it's not wisdom, and we need to, we need to avoid it. 
And as men, we were created to lead. We're created to lead others. And if we're going to lead them, where should we be leading them to? We've got to be leading them to Jesus. If we're leading them anywhere other than to Jesus, then we're leading them astray. We have two choices in this matter. We either use the wisdom of the world or we use the wisdom of God. If we use the wisdom of the world, where is that going to lead? It's going to lead to worldly things. It's going to lead to the, the, some of the things we see, see going on in the world around us, or we're going to lead them to God. You know, we're living in a world where many see inequities all over the place, where things are not equal. You know, that, that you know, based on different ways of evaluating the look at any, any system, any group of people, any thing, and, there, and, you, and I'm going to share one today that just gets all the way over into the realm of ridiculous, where they look at these things, that if there's any inequity, where things aren't balanced, they aren't equal for everyone, then that's wicked. It's evil. And not only is it evil, but the one that it's, that it's in, inequitable towards is because they are evil. And that's the way it's being communicated. That inequities, any ism, either racism or sexism or any ism at all, and they will, they will describe it as intentionally evil. The problem is, it usually isn't true. The reality, life is just inequitable. Always has been, always will be. There will always be some people that have and others that don't. There will always be some that, that excel and others that don't. And it has absolutely nothing to do with racism or sexism or any other ism. I heard of a scientific study. Notice big air quotes here. Scientific study into the inequities during Shark Week on the Discovery Channel. Did you know about this? Did you know about this? It was discovered that almost all people doing shark research or hosting shark shows are men. And not just men, most of them are white, heterosexual men. And it's worse than that. Not only that, but they found a huge inequity in the names of those men. Most of them were named Mike. It's a conspiracy of white, heterosexual men named Mike to, to oppress everybody else in the making of shark shows and doing shark studies. Interestingly enough, it was done, it was done by, a, by a woman who doesn't know what her gender is and um, is offended that there aren't more women doing this kind of work. Now, now, if you're like me, you shake your head and you say, that is just foolish and silly. But mark my word. I'm going to predict it right now. The next Shark Week, next Shark Week, there are going to be men wearing dresses or thong bikinis that are doing hosting shark shows. Don't be surprised. Guys, if we want to lead the people that God has entrusted into our care, we have got to know God's word. We've got to believe God's word. 
And we've got to apply God's word to the reality of the world around us. And we have to do it from the, with the filter and from the basis of God and his character and his nature. The problem what we see out in the world is almost all of these things. That woman that did that study or, or, or led that study or whatever, I mean, if you can even call it a study, whatever, she was biased toward a certain outcome. She already knew what she wanted to find, and she found exactly what she was looking for. And, and without any understanding of, of, the, of the mechanics and the, and the whys and the hows, she took raw dated data and interpreted it according to her bias, according to her viewpoint, her worldview. Now, when we view things like this, we've got to back it up and say, okay, but wait, but why is it like that? Is it only white men that like to play with sharks, maybe? I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is. You know, there's probably, there's probably some reason why it is the way that it is. But to assume evil automatically is wrong. Listen, we have got to be wiser than the world around us. And, and we've got to look at the world and acknowledge and, and not to be afraid to call out the foolishness that we see around us and call it what it is. That's absolute, utter foolishness. Back into our account, the wise men come looking for the king and they're coming to look to a king that they intend to worship. That could be a problem for some. Verse three, when Herod the king, the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with them. So these wise guys show up. Where is the newborn king? Where's the king? We saw a star in the heaven. We've come to worship him, which that's saying a lot. Because if you know Herod, Herod was paranoid. Herod was, I mean, he was evil and wicked, murdering family members. If he thought they threatened him, he was not a good guy. These guys show up and say, hey, uh, we want to, we've come to worship the king who was born. And oh, you're not him. And uh, Herod's saying, oh, wait, ho, 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 wait a minute. This new king threatened his power and his position. And we're going to see just how far he would go to try to deal with this problem. The world is threatened by Jesus. You know, if you, if you look at the way, you know, some groups are responding to Christianity it is illogical. It, is, it makes absolutely no sense that they would respond this way. The hatred that they have for Christians and God is, well, it, it is what it is. It's demonic. It's satanic. It is driven by the fires of hell. Nothing threatens evil people or evil governments like people who put their faith in Jesus Christ and put their trust in him and seek to obey his word because they cannot be controlled by the evil. Which is it wiser to put your trust in God who sets up and tears down governments or in the government who is seeking to erase God? Let me tell you in my mind, 
I'm going to put my trust in God. I'm not going to put my trust in the government. can't put your trust in the government. They cannot be trusted. And I don't care who they are. I don't care which government it is. I don't care which political party it is. We cannot trust the government to, to, to do what is right for God unless they are you know, born again, fully Holy Spirit-filled believers in Jesus Christ. And even then, they, they are working in a system that is lost. It's one thing. We can understand Herod's response to this. It's the next group that has always weirded me out. Just always, I never have understood it. Verses 4 through 6. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired, this is Herod speaking, of them where the Christ was to be born. Notice that word there, where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So it's clear to me reading this that when, when the wise men came, they knew who they were looking for. They knew who they were looking for from a theological standpoint. They were looking for the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. They were looking for this king, this 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 divine king, this God king, that's what they were looking for. And because, they, because Herod says, hey, where will this Christ be born? Where, 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 where will we find him? And the religious leaders quote from Micah 5.2. They know exactly where the Messiah would be born because, because the Bible told them, their own scriptures told them where he would be born. So Herod hears the news of the birth of this child of the Messiah, and he's troubled. The religious leaders who knew who the Messiah was supposed to be, knew things about him that other people didn't know, they hear the words of the wise men. And what is their response? Apathy. Bethlehem is a two-hour walk from Jerusalem. And if, and if if you had something in your life that was so important to you that you, you built your whole life around the concept of it, would you expend some amount of energy to go and to... And you heard, here's, you know, you know, you know, you know, the Kevin, you know, in your, in your CNC thing, you know, I'm trying to figure this out, you know, I got all this stuff going on. And, and then somebody says, oh, but if you go right over here, it, it'll take you two hours to get there and you get all the answers you want. Oh, I don't know. It's so far. And, I, and I've got this Pilates class after, after the, the study today. I just, I, I just don't think I can fit it in. Uh, I, I, I'm blown away by these guys. They don't, even, they don't even bother to go look. When Jesus started his public ministry 30 years later, these same men or the men from the same group were the ones who resisted him because he upset the status quo. 
It was no longer about them finding the Messiah. It was no longer about them worshiping God. It was all about them and their position and their power and their authority. You see that in the way they interacted with Jesus and the way they resisted him and the way they ultimately betrayed and crucified him. And they didn't care about others. The Messiah came to set the people free, to set Israel free. And they, they didn't care. They only cared about others to the degree that it benefited them. Apathy in the life of a spiritual leader, or any leader for that matter, is great sin. Man, as we, as we go through life called to lead, you know, we have got to be paying attention to where God is going, what he's saying, what he's doing. And we've got to care. Because those religious leaders were given an immense gift. Here is your Messiah. Men came a thousand miles away and say, oh, oh, by the way, did you know that your Messiah was just born? And they ignored them. We've got to pay attention. We've got to be digging in. God gave us his word so that we can know him. Then he gave us the church so that we can, we can know him together. And, and if we're not, if we're not, if we don't care enough to really pay attention and, and, uh, and to listen when, when God sends somebody from a long ways away and says, oh, by the way, here's how you can grow in your faith. Here's how you can, you, how you, you can do whatever you're doing. How you can, you know, uh, do better in your marriage. How you can, you know, how you can do better at work. How you can, whatever it might be. How you can be a better church man. Whatever it might be. If we're not paying attention to those things, if we're apathetic to them, we're just showing up. It, we're no different than these guys. And I think God calls us to more than that. He calls us to, to pay attention and to respond and be watching for where is Jesus in all of this? And how do I get to him from here? It's, a, it's mature godly wisdom that causes one to care more about others than for themselves. And, and, this, is, and this is important in our culture because when we care for someone, they often, and we've all experienced this, people want us to care for them their way. That, that, you know, I want you to love me, but I want you to love me the way I want you to, right? Anybody ever experienced that? And, and that's not what God calls us to. God calls us to love them his way. And that might mean not loving them the way they want to, and that's especially true in this culture of, of, of perverse sexual desires and, and ideologies. It's not loving to go along with somebody's perverse delusion. You're not loving them when you do that. You, you, we need to tell people the truth. So these wise guys get here and say, hey, where's your king? Where is the newborn king? Herod wants to find this king, verses 7 and 8. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now, now we know Herod had no intention of worshiping this king. He had every intention of destroying him. And it would be no great thing for Herod to murder this child. That would not be a big deal for him, because we know that for a fact, because of what he, what he does after the wise men are gone. In Matthew 2.16, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem, and at all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. The sense from that is, is that the wise men had seen the star two years earlier than this. Now, there's a debate on whether or not it took them two years to figure out what it meant and then finally get there, or if um, uh, Jesus was two years old at this point. And there's a debate on which of those is true. Uh, you can have whatever opinion you want, just don't tell me. Kidding, kidding. <laughs> a wise man Puts, in, puts his trust, trust in God and in God's word and in God's, in God's spirit. Does not put his trust in the government. Especially with the precious, precious things of God. I mean, we have situation in our school systems now, the public school system, you know, while they're not, it's not all bad, there's some bad stuff going on in the public school system right now. And, and, and you know, they... I just heard a. I just heard something just recently where, where um, a teacher was rebuking parents for assuming to have any amount of authority or responsibility for teaching their own children about sex. So you're not an expert in that. So you should let us handle that. You know what I say to that? No expletive way. I wouldn't actually use an expletive, but I'll use the word expletive. Maybe that'll have the same effect. No way. We should not allow it. So the wise men leave Herod, and then I think something cool happens. It's, it's, we sometimes overlook this next bit, uh, but it's a full-blown miracle. Uh, verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. So this is no star as we know stars. Yeah, we, we often think, when we, say, when we think star, we think of, you know, a star far, far away, you know, because they are. Stars are far, far away. Now, we can't say with any certainty what this actually was. Some say it was an angel. Some say it was just an object that looked like a star that moved through the heavens. But it moved. It, was, it, it led the wise men from, it led them from the east all the way directly to Jerusalem and then from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. So it went east to Jerusalem and then back to Bethlehem in the opposite direction. Stars don't do that, right? Any stars that you know don't do that. In a way, this is symbolic of 
the Holy Spirit and may have been a, a, a visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And, and what God would say to us is that we need to follow. Where the Holy Spirit leads, we need to follow, wherever that is. Verse 11, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their presents, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The wise men come seeking, searching for the Christ, and they keep searching until they find him. And once they find him, they worship him. Even as a baby, Jesus was worthy of worship. And as an act of worship, they present gifts to the child, very precious gifts. Gold is symbolic of his royalty. The frankincense is symbolic of his high priestly role. And the myrrh was used to prepare bodies for death, which is pointing to his atoning sacrifice for our sins. Kevin sent this quote to me from Charles Spurgeon. It's always good to quote the old dead guys. Those who look for Jesus will see him. Those who truly see him will worship him. Those who worship him will consecrate their substance to him. That if we are truly seeking God, seeking Jesus, we'll find him. And if we do find him, if we're truly seeking him and we do find him, the natural response is worship. And once we are worshiping God, worshiping Jesus, the natural outflow of that is generosity, giving. That we recognize that all that I have came from God and I should be giving some of it either back to him or back in some other way to others in need. You know, these wise men, if you think about it, it costs them a lot to worship Jesus. They come from a long way away. They had to put their lives on hold. Their lives stopped for whatever period of time it took them to get them. And it wasn't, it wasn't a short journey. It was minimum of months for them to get there and then to get back. And when they found him, they gave him these, these very valuable gifts. Yeah, the question we all have to ask ourselves, what are we willing to give to worship God? What are we willing to give up to worship God? Something of our time, something of our talent, something of our treasure. What are we willing to give? Jesus helped us to summarize that in Matthew 16, verse 24 through 26. He said this, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever does, who loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I mean, the basic idea there is that we should be willing to give everything up for Jesus. Everything. That there literally is no, nothing held back that we should imagine our life and the things of our lives in open hands, that should God want them, that he has every right to come and take them. And should he ask us to give them away, we should not hesitate to give them away. Listen, there is no greater wisdom than seeking Jesus with your whole being. 
going after him, hard after him. These wise men give us one more example of wisdom before they disappear into history. Verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way, which a quick little aside, another way would have been the long way. So they take a long trip there, but to get to go the way that God told them to do, they had to take the longer way to get back. So they get a message. They get a message in a dream. God communicates in many different ways. He speaks to us through his word, through his spirit, through his people, through circumstances of life, and supernaturally like here in the dreams and visions. But to hear God, we have to be listening. And the problem with the world today, with life today, is it's so stinking noisy. There is so much noise around us. And we're so accustomed to having noise around us that we often don't take the time we need to be still and quiet before the Lord and hear him. You know, people that have always got news on, they've always got this on, music on, something on, there's always noise around them. The question is, can you hear God through all of the noise? And how do you know? We've got to listen. But to hear God, we must, there's a few things that must be true in our lives. First, you must know God by faith through his word and by his spirit. You cannot hear from God if you don't know who God is. If you don't know his word, if you're not, if you're not being led by the Holy Spirit, you cannot hear from God. Second, you must be listening for his voice. You know, I've talked to people you know, all the time. We talk about prayer. I pray. Okay, do, you ever, do you ever pause and listen for God's response when you're praying? And a lot of people say, well, uh, no. I can't hear him. Well, you might not hear him because you're not choosing to listen. Third, you must be willing to obey him in whatever he tells you to do and wherever he tells you to go. This is kind of critical. If you're not willing to obey God, why should he talk to you? If you're not willing to do what he says, why should he bother telling you what to do? We've got to begin by being willing. The world needs men. Men with godly, Bible-based wisdom. How to exercise godly wisdom covers every facet of life. We could spend all day sitting here talking about one thing after another and how it relates, how wisdom relates to it. As a quick overview, know God's word, believe God's word, obey God's word. It's got to start there. If you don't start there, there's no hope of ever achieving anything that resembles wisdom. And frankly, we need to spend time together. I and mean, kind of the, the little interaction that we had with Larry this morning about letting it go. I mean, that, that I believe was an expression of wisdom that was, was, was expressed to you that you may not have, it may have taken you another hour to figure out, probably a month, but, but another hour to figure out. And, and, and so, you know, by hearing it from God's people, you at least have an opportunity now to respond. And, and that's why we need each other. We need to be together like this. 
We're here in the Christmas season. We need to follow the example of the wise men from the east. They sought out the Messiah. They sought out the Savior. Seek Jesus during this Christmas season. As believers, we do that by rejoicing in the birth of Christ. We rejoice. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Ultimately, all of it is second. A distant second to Christ. Let it be. You know, all the cares of life. You know what I found out? That if I will focus my heart on Jesus, all those stuff that I care about, either it's just going to go away, he's going to take care of it, or it's still going to be there when I get done worshiping Jesus. I mean, which is better? I think it's better to worship Jesus, and then well, I'm better prepared to deal with this, you know, the wrongly printed checks in my life, whatever it might be. Not only do we seek Jesus, we should seek to point him out to others. In whatever way that we might do that, wishing somebody a Merry Christmas, being nice to somebody, you know, letting something go that ordinarily would bother us and we'd let it bother us. Because, you know, there's things like that, you know, like, and I'm, I'm picking on Larry just because, you know, he's easy target right now. But, you know, sometimes we, those things come into our lives and we let them bother us, but they don't bother just us because it never stays in just us. Everybody around us can feel it. Everybody around us can see it. Our, our demeanor changes, our attitude changes, all that stuff changes. So we carry this stuff everywhere that we go. You've, you've all heard my trash, maybe you've all heard my trash can message. We drag that stinking, nasty trash can with us everywhere that we go. And what does God say? Let it go. The wise men came worshiping Jesus. Listen, we, we ought to be leading our families in that, leading those that we have around us. Any, any influence we've got, you know, Kevin's leading the men's ministry to worship Jesus, to love him, to follow him, and to obey him. And we ought to do that, especially this time of year, focusing on the birth of Jesus. It's a radical thing. God came in the flesh. And we got to tell people about it. You know, encourage people to 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 worship. You know, we, we're gonna. You know, we. You know, I'm. I. As long as I get the privilege of leading this church, I'm gonna try to encourage people to worship Jesus. And yes, even on Christmas morning. So you know, encourage people to come and worship with us. The wise men gave gifts to Christ. Be generous during the Christmas season. Be, be generous, whatever that means, either with God's people or with the church, whatever God would lead you. Listen, wise men still seek him. And men who seek him become wise. Pathfinders are wise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, this opportunity to come and to worship, 
to be in this place with the men of God is glorious and amazing. And I, I am just so thankful for the privilege that you give me to be here once a month at least. And I pray, Lord, for these men and for anyone who, any other men that are out that are watching or will watch us later on, I pray that you would minister to their own hearts the need for wisdom, that we have got to be so careful not to let the world's wisdom draw us astray, even when we're resisting the, the, the weirdness and the bizarre things that, that our culture and, and those in our culture are doing. Sometimes we replace their bizarre things with our own bizarre things, our own attitudes and things. Lord, let us not do that. Let us focus our hearts on you. As we look out and we see those things, help us to go back into your word and say, Lord, how would you have me think about this? How would you have me respond to it? Lord, we know that your word is the source of wisdom. We have to learn how to use the knowledge we gain from your word and to translate that knowledge into wisdom. We do that through your Holy Spirit. We do that with your people, especially as men with other men. And Lord, within the church, I thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing, and we pray for your blessing at all now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for being a part of Pathfinders. This series is for men who want to make a difference in the world around them. We want to partner with you on this exciting journey. Go to calvaryfv.com pathfinders and click on the engage button. We'll periodically send you encouragements and exhortations to be the pathfinder God created you to be. Every man needs help periodically, so please let us know if there is any way that we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 62488. If this material has blessed you in some way, you find it useful in any way, please leave a comment or review and subscribe to it, this channel, so that you don't miss any other things that we publish. And send it to someone else that might need to see, hear it or see it. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ, to find their way. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 62488. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus. Jesus.